Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Well, listen, I'm going to give you a, a prep. We're going to be in the book of Jonah. So that book can be fairly hard to find. So if you have a table of contents, if you're using the Bible or just the app, I'm going to give you a few minutes to get there. Again, Old Testament, go right of Psalms. If you get to New Testament, you've gone too far. So we're starting this new series called Running. And so what we're asking, and the, really the point of the series, is that you're either running to the Lord or you're running away from Him. And the point is there's no neutrality in your walk with Jesus. If you're in a neutral position, you are going backwards. And so that's what we're going to see in this book, Jonah. The next four weeks is going to be a pretty high-arching, pretty fast-paced series. But if you're taking notes, you can title this sermon today, The Greatest Problem. The Greatest Problem. And so I'm going to ask you guys, as you look across the world today, what is the greatest problem in the world? Don't, all right, don't get ahead of me. All right, don't get ahead of me. See, usually you guys don't answer. It's all rhetorical. You guys are waiting for me to get an answer. You guys did get the coffee. I like it. You know, this week I saw that Klondike announced that they are discontinuing the Choco Taco. Oh, this could be the world's greatest problem. I'm just, if you never had one. But you can go through all kinds of problems, right? I mean, there's all kinds of serious issues throughout the world. I mean, there's human trafficking. There's abuse situations across the spectrum. There's racial tensions, reconciliation that's needed. I mean, you name it, there's just awfulness, evilness, great problems throughout the world. But I would agree with Dr. Chitwood. See, Dr. Chitwood is the president of the International Mission Board. And over the past several months, he's been asking the question in a way to answer it. It's what's the world's greatest problem? It's one word. He would summarize it as lostness. Lostness, to which I I would agree. And lostness means those who are without Jesus. The stats say that 59% of the world right now is considered unreached, meaning they have no access to the gospel. And as you dive into it, many people groups are less than 2%, with no access to the gospel and no one even trying to reach them. And I'm from the California public school system, and even then, 59% is considered failing, all right? So that's not good, not good. Some 4.5 billion with a B people without Jesus. But there's encouragement, even if it seems discouraging, is that the lost can be found. God is working. God is moving. In Romans 10, the Apostle Paul, in reference to those who are without Jesus, gives four questions to consider. He says this, he says, How then can they, those without Jesus, the lost, how then can they call on him, being Jesus, whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher And how can they preach, that is the preacher, unless they are sent? These are great questions. And these questionings 
are a reminder of our commissioning. This is Paul's aim. Because if you flip them and make them a statement in the form of command, it is the Great Commission. It is, we are sent to preach so that they can hear and believe. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. Romans 1, 16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because of the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And quite simply, when we look at lostness, simply the solution is the gospel. Just simply. The gospel. And I wonder, as a church, do we believe this? Definitely as a local church, but as a universal church, do we believe that the gospel is a solution for lostness? And if so, where's the disconnect? Again, 4.5 billion people. Are we ashamed of the gospel? You see, I think maybe we've turned the command of the Great Commission into the Great Option. It's what it feels like. It's an optional statement. And just a reminder of the Great Commission, this is the commission, the command that Jesus gave all who would follow him. He gave it to his disciples and all who would follow him throughout the generations. In Matthew 28, he said, go, it's important, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, and remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the Great Commission, that is a command. But within this great commission, I think we get lost. Is making disciples starts with proclaiming the gospel. That's where it starts. We are called to proclaim the gospel. I've heard it said, well, I don't preach. It is means proclaim. Speak out loud with words, right? The gospel. And then those who believe, because believe it or not, God is working and bringing people to himself. Then we disciple. So what's that look like? When you believe, your first step of obedience in following Jesus is baptism. That's in the Great Commission. We baptize, and the word baptism means submersion. So, very literally, we submerse, because that's what it means. I don't know, that gets confusing to folks. So we baptize out of walking in obedience, and it comes after belief. And then it says we teach to obey Christ's commands. This is discipleship. This is why we have such a thrust here on discipleship groups. There's an accountability, there's an encouragement to actually follow what we see in God's word, to be doers of the word, not hearers only. But what I want to see is the core of the Great Commission command is not new, or it doesn't begin with the New Testament church. I think we get that confused sometimes, and it goes back to what has been the world's greatest problem since Genesis 3? Lostness. I know, we're going to get back to this. I'm going to ask you all day long. Lostness! Since Genesis 3, the world's greatest problem has been lostness. And so we see God throughout history has been continuing seeking and saving the lost. And in, his God, in God's sovereignty, he, it's so amazing to me, he can use any method he pleases to bring people to himself. But you know who and how he pleases to do that, to bring people to himself? You. Me. That is his plan A. Plan A. And David Platt would say there's no ever other plan B. That's plan A. It's us. So if we don't proclaim, they don't hear. Which brings us to Jonah. And Jonah, these accounts were somewhere between the early to mid-1700s BC. It's about prophet Jonah in this great city called Nineveh. 
which hopefully I bide you enough time to actually find the book. So we're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. And Nineveh would have been one of the largest cities in the world at the time, located in what's known as modern-day Iraq, the uh, capital of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrian people were known to be idolatrous, proud, ruthless, a hungered for world power domination, and a direct threat to the nation of Israel. There's a little context of what we're encountering here. And so my question would be, what was this great city's greatest problem? See, there we go. We're getting there. Because the text says evilness, right? Evil. But if you peel it back, it's lostness. And so what's the solution? The gospel. This is like Sunday school stuff. Like this is basic one-on-one Christianity. You guys got this. I'm with you. The gospel. And so he tells Jonah, go and preach. It's, it's the gospel. It's repent and believe. That's what Jonah's going to call them to, repentance and belief, which should remind us there's three different things about sin. One, there is no hidden sin. I think we're tempted to believe that. There's no hidden sin. Sin, number two, will not remain secret. And number three, sin always impacts others. Always. So my question is, why Jonah? Why does God call Jonah to do this? Was it his giftedness? Was it his obedience? Was it his righteousness? Was it his amazing love and compassion for others? What was it about Jonah? What's interesting, unlike the prophet Isaiah, when Isaiah saw the greatness of God's glory, responding to God's question, who will I send? Isaiah says, here I am, send me. Jonah's response was slightly different. Verse 3. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down to it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. And there's a noteworthy thing here. Your relationship with the Lord always leads to response to the Lord. Again, we're going through the series. Either you're running after God or you're running from Him and there's no neutral. Meaning your relationship is either growing stronger are growing stagnant. And I think it's easy for us to look at Jonah's actions and attitude and say, how can you do such a stupid thing? Like, really, you're going to run from the Lord and hide from his presence? And it's interesting to see that he actually ran the exact opposite direction to where the Lord called him. So he's trying his best to go the furthest and the farthest and the opposite direction as he possibly could in his mind. Which Jeremiah 23, 24, God would say, can a person hide in secret places where I cannot see him? The answer is no. No. And his disobedience, that's Jonah's, to God's command is sin. That's the core of sin, disobedience, rebellion. But there's a deeper sin issue that created the sin that we see, which is a reminder that sin always begins within. This is what Jesus says, he from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immorality, thefts, false testimonies, and slander. It begins within. So we ask the question, what drove Jonah's disobedience to God? Well, you remember the people we talked about, the Assyrians? These people, again, were ruthless, evil people. 
They were those people who could never come to God. You know what I'm saying? Like, do you have those people in your life? Those people, there's no way God would ever save them. They're so far out there. They're so evil. They're so hate-filled. There's no way God can ever see them. That was the Assyrian people, and the Assyrian people were in direct opposition and a threat to the nation of Israel. He hated these people by all accounts we see in Jonah. Which is a problem. Because Jesus, Jesus says that if you, you have heard it said that our, our ancestors do not murder. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So he equates hatred to murder. And then James just clarifies the whole thing in James 2.10. Forever who keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking them all. So herein lies the problem. Sin is severe. But the law is so wonderful to us. And I, we've talked about this every once in a while. For separated you from his presence and you are helplessly stuck in it. Sin is severe. And yet God stepped in to do something about that. Jesus living the life that you couldn't live and I couldn't live, the perfect life that's required to pay the price, dying the death that we should have died, taking our sin debts, paying it in full, rising it on the third day, now sits at the right hand, interceding for all those who believe. He did this to save you and me because we couldn't pay the price. This is the good news of the gospel. So all you have to do is believe that somehow, some way, his blood on the cross counted for me and paid the price and covered my sin. It's so easy, but yet it was not. But this is the good news of the gospel. And it applies to everyone. No one is ever beyond the reach of God, no matter how bad or far off you think they might be. One of my favorite quotes, one of my favorite Christ-centered quotes, comes from an outspoken atheist named Penn Gillette. You know Penn and Teller, the act? Penn Gillette. Penn Gillette was recounting uh, a situation where after a show, a guy came up and tried to share the gospel. This is what happened. And he calls it proselytizing. And Penn's saying, you know what? I don't respect people that don't proselytize. He says, if you believe that there's a hell and that people are going to, how could you not? And he says this. He says, how much do you have to hate someone not to proselytize? And I don't think we view things like that. We just think we're being kind because we don't want to make things awkward. Or we don't want to make them feel bad. Or we don't want to say the wrong thing. How much do you have to hate someone to withhold the good news, the salvation for all who believe that impacts all of eternity? And so this brings us back to Jonah. How much do you have to hate someone? Jonah knew that God was sending him to share the gospel because God was preparing to save a people. And that's our story too. God's sending you. He's preparing the people all around you. And this is what Jonah knew about God. This comes out of Jonah 4.2. He says about God that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And it's interesting here. I think God exposed a blind spot in Jonah's life. You know what I mean by blind spot? Like, we all have blind spots. Like, we all have a sin issue in our life that we may be unaware of. And just when you think you got it all knocked out and you got it all perfect, oh, here comes pride, right? Like, we all have this blind spot. 
And instead of repenting and running to the Lord for his forgiveness, Jonah ran and hid from the Lord. And just recently, this has always been the response to sin. Remember Genesis 3, the first sin. And after they sinned, rebelled, what'd they do? They hid. Well, they thought they hid. And just honestly, and with all love and grace that I could extend, sin makes you stupid. It just does. Sin makes you stupid. But the amazing thing, God can even turn our stupidity into something for his glory. It's amazing to me. I'm not calling you stupid. Don't hear me say that. You're not stupid. I'm just saying we do stupid pretty well. That's all I'm saying. Stupidity, by definition, is behavior that shows a lack of good sense or judgment. And I was thinking through my own life. I'll give you three real quick. As a kid, my friend had this pool, and their house was pretty close to the pool, so we'd run and jump off the roof into the pool. Pretty stupid. Thankfully, never got hurt. I remember one time we got some Roman candles. Remember those used to be a thing? And instead of shooting them, like, maybe up in the air, we shot them at each other. That's pretty stupid. Yeah. Don't do that. In the 80s, kids of the 80s, I actually liked new kids on the block at some point. That's pretty stupid. Thankfully, our stupidity doesn't undermine God's sovereignty. This is what we're going to see here. God remains sovereign even through our issues. Romans 8.28, one of my favorite verses that I cling to a lot, says we know that all things, that's a lot of stuff, even my stupidity, all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. And so what we're going to see is God wasn't done with Jonah. Even through his rebellion, God wasn't done. Verse 4 says, But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, Why and what are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call to your God, maybe this God will consider us, and we won't perish. And what we see here, there's a dire situation that these sailors thought that they can really die. And what we see in Jonah is signs of being calloused, cold, indifferent, apathetic to the Lord and to people. Almost as if Jonah was saying, you know what, I don't care. Lord, what do you tell me? I don't care about the people around me. I guess my question for you is, have you ever been there? Just don't care. I don't care, Lord, about what you're doing. What you're sh- I don't care what happens to people around me. I mean, it's what sin does. It sucks you in. There's a blindness that your sinfulness creates. Blinding to the damaging and ravaging to the impacts of you and the people around you. And we see apathy, I'm convinced, is a great adversary to the advancement of the gospel and the furtherance of your own faith. Apathy. I think spiritual apathy is connected to spiritual proximity. I'll give you two instances. Number one, your proximity to Jesus. The closer you come to Jesus, the further you want to be from sin. Or, number two, the proximity to sin. The closer you are to your sin, the further you want to be from Jesus. You won't ever been there. You don't have to raise your hand. We're all there at some point, right? 
when God reveals sin in your life, understand that this is an act of his mercy, his grace, and his patience, which should get us to respond. And so we respond in two different ways. To God revealing sin out of grace, mercy, and patience, he reveals sin, and we respond in one of two ways. One, repenting, which leads to God's relenting. This is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Or number two, resisting, which leads to God's disciplining. You've been there. Yeah, me too. Proverbs 3.12 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. And what we see in Jonah is his spiritual apathy continues to prevail, evidenced by his unresponsiveness. Which goes back to what we talked about a little while ago, about sin. There is no hidden sin. Sin will not remain secret, and it always impacts others. And Jonah knows why this storm is raging, yet he doesn't reveal it or repent of it. Verse 7. Come on, the sailors said to each other. Let's cast lots so we'll know who is to blame for the trouble we're in. So they cast lots, and the lot singled out Jonah. They said to him, tell us who is to blame for the trouble we're in. What is your business, and where are you from? What is your country, and what people are you from? And he answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were seized by great fear and said to him, What have you done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you since that sea, so the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, Pick me up, throw me into the sea, so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I am to blame for this great storm that is against you. And notice it took five pressing questions for Jonah to finally reveal his secret sin. But there's still no evidence of repentance. But at least he revealed it. And he reveals it in two different ways. One, he reveals his sin. Which the seller says, what have you done? In other words, you idiot. You risked our lives and our livelihood because of your stupidity. This is my rough translation. Number two, he revealed who he sinned against. And this is noteworthy. He says, I'm a Hebrew, meaning we're a people that serves one God, and we believe that he is the Lord, meaning Yahweh, the one who's a promise maker, promise keeper, always faithful. We serve him, the God of the heavens and the earth, that is the one sovereign God above everything else, even all your false gods, completely and utterly sovereign. The one who made the seas and the land, the creator and controller, even arranging the sea to do his wills and purposes. So he lays out the gospel for these people right here, and that will be evident later. And he tells them why, or what he did. He was running. And don't miss this. This is amazing. So God was sending Jonah to Nineveh, but through his rebellion, God still has a plan for the people of Nineveh, but he also had a plan for these sailors. And this is where we need to remember, where there is sin, there is also opportunity for God's grace. Romans 5.20 says, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. And we've said this from time to time, you cannot out God's grace. And if you think that's a license to sin, you got it all twisted. But no, there's not a sin you have committed that is, goes beyond God's grace and the blood that Jesus spilled. 
On the flip side, where there is no repentance, God will not relent from his discipline. Which leads the sailors to respond in which the question that we all have to ask at some point. What must we do to be saved? Jonah said, throw me overboard. Kill me is what he's saying. And maybe Jonah was like, you know what? Go to Nineveh over my dead body. Maybe that's what he's telling God. But this is what I know for sure. This is important. Jonah knew that sin requires a sacrifice to satisfy God's wrath. And this is amazing. Don't miss this. These sailors were now to have faith in the salvation that comes from God by the way of a sacrifice through one man. Isn't God incredible? Throughout all of history, he's been pointing to the one man who would ultimately come that would fully and finally and forever pay the sacrifice for all who would believe. Leads us to verse 13. What's the sailors do? It says, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord. Isn't that interesting? They called out to the Lord, please, Lord. They knew his name. Don't let us perish because of this man's life and don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This is amazing. These sailors walked by faith, but only after. This is what I want to get, just drive into just for a minute. I wonder how many of us have this story. Only after, right? Only after everything that they could do under their own strength, doing what was right in their own eyes. Like, look at the progression. First, what they do when this great storm arose, the first thing they do, because they're experienced sailors, is start throwing stuff overboard to lighten the load so their ship doesn't sink. Start getting rid of the excess, right? Number two, that doesn't work, and we're still sinking. This storm's still raging. What do they do? Let's all get spiritual. Well, you believe in God? You believe, cry out to your own gods. We'll see which one works, right? Spirituality. We got a whole bunch of spiritual people. Finally, they kept on rowing as best as they could. Rode and rode, rode with no prevail. And then only finally, they submitted to what the Lord would have them to do. Is that your story? That's been my story. I told you I was saved at the age of 20. Up to that point, I did what I wanted, how I wanted. And it took a movement of God, like it does in all our stories, for me to finally see my need for a Savior. Face to face with my sin, my own depravity. These sailors were saved from death by God's grace, through faith, in one man's sacrifice. And this remains true for us today. This is a, so impactful about John 3. Uh, we say it so much, I don't want us to ever get past what John 3 tells us. John 3, 16 and 17. Jesus says, For God so loved the world in this way, He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. And this is interesting. Because why does he not condemn the world? Because we did that ourselves. We condemned ourselves. 
So he doesn't come to condemn because we stand condemned without him. So he comes so we don't have to be condemned. And if we spend forever with him and receive forgiveness of sin through Christ alone and faith alone by God's grace alone. And it's available to everyone who believes. And so I have to ask, what was the sailor's greatest problem? Lostness. It was lostness. What was the solution? It was the gospel. Jonah shared it reluctantly, but he shared it. And God used it. And you see these sailors worshiping and making commitments to the Lord. Using Jonah's own stupidity within his sovereignty. I don't know about you, that gives me encouragement. I'm not trying to jack things up, but it happens. When that does, I do repent, but I know God doesn't waste a moment under his sovereignty. And God wasn't done with Jonah. Finally, verse 17. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And I thought this was timely, almost like I wish I could have had enough foresight to plan this series like I did. Because it's Shark Week. Anybody know that? Shark Week. What a great time to be preaching on Jonah. And so what I'm not going to do, I'm not going to try and convince you why you should trust this account and believe the authority of all Scripture. I'm not going to try and convince you of that, but I'm going to tell you three different things. In 2021, just last year, a commercial lobster man up in Cape Cod was swallowed whole by a humpback whale. They think maybe for a minute. They spit him back out. And he had people that witnessed it. Just saying, that happened. Look it up. Anyway, we also, me and my, my kiddos were in the habit of watching the TV show River Monsters. There's some big fish out there. But there's also always accounts of these humongous fish swallowing people. So that's what would lead him to go investigate how big these fish are getting. But I'm not trying to convince you to believe it. This is the most convincing thing. Jesus believed this was a literal account. Is that enough for you? Jesus said in Matthew 12, For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man, speaking of himself, will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. So just as that was a thing, this will be a thing. And just as God did that to him, it's actually pointing toward the greater redemption that's going to happen. Through my death and my resurrection, my sacrifice will be the forgiveness of sin for everyone who believes. And what I don't want us to miss is how patient God is with Jonah. Even in his running and rebelling. And I want you to hear this. God is patient with you and me. Even in our running and rebellion. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us that the Lord is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But he's also righteous, he's also just, and his patience will end. And that's not a threat. That's just reality. And if I believe there's a literal hell that is the destination for all who reject Jesus, then how much would I hate you and our surrounding community not to tell you that? But it's not a get-out-of-hell-free card. That's not what this is. If you're coming to Jesus so you don't have to have that, that's not faith. We come to Jesus because we love him. 
Because we see how good, how great of a God he is and how much he loves you. We love him because he first loved us. And I pray that love continues to sink down into our souls and refresh our spirits because only then can we live in a way that's pleasing to him. So what is the world's greatest problem today? Lostness. How about you? What is your greatest problem today? When I say lostness, I mean you're still searching the way in this world. Without Jesus. But the solution is the gospel. That can change. Your forever can change right now. Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us, If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One who believes in his heart, resulting in righteousness, and one who confesses with his mouth, resulting in salvation. Do you believe that Jesus paid the price for your sin so that you can forever live with him? That needs to be resolved today, if that's you. Finally, the head has connected with the heart, and you believe it, you know it, and you love him. Come to him and repent. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I see where I've fallen short, but thank you for saving me from my own sin and giving me new life that starts right now. And maybe for some of you, it's time to spend some time in repentance. This is a healthy outpouring of our relationship with the Lord. Because I don't know what each hour of your week looked like this week. But I know everyone in this room has sinned at some point. And I'm wondering, have we stopped and repented out of a relationship with the Lord, loving the Lord? So I don't know about you, but I don't want to disappoint the Lord. I want to be pleasing to Him. I want to live a life that's fully devoted to Him, pointed to Him. And when I fall short, I hate it. But so many times we go through life running and get the busyness and we don't even stop to see, oh my goodness, I have this blind spot that I didn't even see. I talk to my wife like this. Right? I treat my kids like this. I talked about my coworker. I mean, you name it. I thought these things. I looked at these things. I participated in these things. Have you spent time just repenting out of a relationship with the Lord, knowing that he's faithful, just, and righteous to forgive and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness? This is the relationship that we have with the Lord. There's an initial cleansing that he gives at the moment of faith, but there's a continuing relationship building that he gives because sin causes a barrier. So you got a barrier between you and the Lord right now. You're walking with the Lord, praise God, but you have a barrier. You're not hearing from him like you should. You're not seeing him work in your life like you think you should. That's a you thing. God hasn't moved. It's us. Maybe you're rebelling, not even realizing it. Maybe your response in this time of prayer is, God, reveal any blind spots in my life. Where have I fallen short? Because I desire to live in a way that's pleasing to you. However the Lord's leading you, we're going to respond like we do every week. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up. And every week, this is what we do. I'm going to pray for us. 
And I'm going to encourage you to respond. And for some of you, that may be standing and singing praises and worship to the Lord. For some of you, it may be sitting and praying in worship to the Lord. Or maybe gathered around a few around you and just praying together. Praying over someone. Praying for someone. Listen, we're all walking through stuff. And you're not in this alone. You have the Lord Jesus and you have his people. And we're our church that desires to walk alongside one another well, to bear burdens, to encourage, to equip, to pray for and care for. And so we're also going to have a prayer team over to the side. And we love to pray with you, pray for you, walk alongside you, however the Lord's moving in your life. But here's the point, respond. Respond to what God's doing right now in your life. This is obedience. And this is worship. And this comes out of the relationship. So I invite you to pray with me as we respond. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us here today. In your presence, knowing that you are here. That you're always with us, Father. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your patience with us. We thank you for your amazing love and compassion Mercy and grace, Lord. We even thank you for the discipline that you give us as sons and daughters for correction to curve us back to you. Help us to see that the sin that you reveal in our lives is ultimately your grace and mercy and patience demonstrated as a loving Father desires for us to grow in relationship with you, Father. So right now I ask that you show us any blind spots, any sin issues that we weren't even aware of and bring us to a heart of repentance, a brokenness because of our sin and our rebellion. After reflecting on the goodness of your grace and the gospel and what Jesus went through because of our sin to pay our sin so that we can be forgiven and live with you for your glory. Lord, I just ask that you move in our hearts and our minds right now. I pray you bring conviction to repentance, but bring encouragement, knowing that we don't sit and remain in our sin. That because of you, we can get up and follow you, knowing that we are forgiven, that we're restored, we're refreshed, Lord, that we have this relationship with you, that our spirit within us cries out to you, Abba, Father, because you are our daddy, and we have that relationship with you. Help us never to get over this relationship that we enjoy with you. Father, lead us in worship. Lead us in boldness. Lead us in following you well. Help us to run to you and not run from you. Help us to grow ever more stronger in our relationship with you and resist growing stagnant. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in this place. We thank you for Jesus. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.